0: It looks like within the next release or two of the Fedoras and the other distros, we're all going to be running Firefox on Wayland by default. It's heading upstream, but if you're trying out Ubuntu 23.10, the Firefox snap is actually Wayland by default already. So you're already in the future.
1: I guess the question, though, Chris, is did you even notice Ubuntu's Firefox snap was using Wayland?
0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. And in studio, it's listener Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Glad hey. to be here. Welcome, and uh, congratulations on the uh, mad dash up to the studio for Linux Fest Northwest Eve. It is our episode before the big Linux Fest Northwest mini fest, and coming up on the show today, I think Ubuntu may have turned a corner. At least I'll make my case and see if you guys agree. And we'll also share our thoughts on the new 2310 release, shipping with GNOME 45 and a bunch of other goodies under there. we got Jeff in studio with us. Then we'll rent it out with some great feedback, some picks, a real handy pick, and a lot more. So let's say good morning to Tailscale. Head on over to tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. That's the magic URL that gets you 100 devices for free. That's not a trial. You can just use it. I'm on the free plan. I have been for, like, over a year. I love it hundred devices is all I need, and Tailscale is such a great solution. It's a mesh VPN powered by... WireGuard. That's right. Tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. Go there support the show. And before we get into everything, let's take a minute and say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room.
1: Chris, Wes, Brent, and
2: Jeff.
0: Hello. 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 How's it feel, Jeff? You're on this side of the microphone. I almost said hello. <laughs> you almost. I, know, I think we would have just, it would have been normal. We, <laughs> That's right. We would have thought anything weird about it. So Jeff's up here because next weekend, as we record, so this is the 15th of October, next weekend is the MiniFest at Linux Fest Northwest. And Brent has the first session of the day, of course. That's so that wild. Be great. I can't so, even
1: believe that. So we're
0: getting up, <laughs> we're going to get up there nice and early. At least some of us are. Um, and then JB is hosting the dinner in the evening, which I hope we can all make it for. And if you're going to make it out there, audience, please do RSVP so the restaurant can plan ahead. That's all at meetup.com slash LinuxFestNorthwest. It's going to be a smaller, you know, mini-fest. Right.
2: It's going to be nice. Still looking forward to it, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. And uh, the lead-up between now and then, like always, is just going to be slammed full of projects. Just Gonna be a bunch of stuff we're gonna be working on. We'll be razzled and fried by
2: the time Linux. Just you know, to stay with tradition. Of course, I don't think we know how to do Linux Fest any other way. <laughs> Can
1: you give listeners proper. like uh, a little hint of maybe an item or two you have in mind, Chris?
0: Oh, uh, Jeff, what are you So I've uh, I've made a whole list of jobs for Jeff while he's here because I didn't want him to get here without anything. And then of course I went overboard. Uh, Nextcloud task, by the way, has been excellent for collecting all the ideas as they strike. And then I, uh, I prioritize them in there. And it's a good little app, I have to say. And then you can sync it if you use DAVX. You can sync it to your phone and then on Android use Task.org to actually have a nice local task app to interface with the NextCloud TAS backend. So, I can throw things on that task board for Jeff just as a anything that crosses my fancy little mind. Oh, yeah, I'll throw it on there. One of you, real easy.
2: One of the two of you seems more excited about this than huh. the other. Yeah. I have a smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, you got any examples for us of what's on that list?
3: Oh, we have some Lady Jupe's things. Oh, some? Some, mostly, actually, with the highest priorities. Yeah. A couple other things like the studio sensor. I haven't closed that one, but oh, I don't think I will yet. But I think it's closed, right? You may. We're going to find out. Yeah. I think we'll leave that one open. Uh, in general, your notes are fantastic, and <laughs> I try. It's hilarious. I actually really like the interface here. I haven't used Next uh, Nextcloud ta- tasks yet, and I think it's really really slick. But yeah, I closed out the lights in the kitchen. That Hell one yeah. worked out good. Well, it's it's great because you know Jeff has a, a knowledge
0: domain that is adjacent to mine. So there's a lot of where like I can kind of I can kind of come up with what I want to do in Joops, like for a sensor for for lighting or wiring, but Jeff knows how to actually do it, you know. And longtime listeners will probably remember that forever, forever Jeff helped us get one of our first spots hooked up with full power for Joops. Right. And so it's always it's always great when he when he visits. It's like things always get better. It's, things always improve. It's a really it's fun, and he's a pretty good guy to hang out with too. So they'll be uh, Brian. You got to get down here and hang out with us because we got a lot of I'm fun. I'm clearly missing out. Clearly. Yeah. You just jump in the car after the show. It'll be fine. So while we were uh, getting together and getting ready for Linux Fest, Canonical released Ubuntu 2304. And this is the last interim release before the big LTS. So, you know, this is always where if you're going to do something, you got to get it in there now. This is where you try stuff for the last last chance to try things. And so we got Linux 6.5. And that has Wi-Fi 7 support, MIDI 2.0 compatibility, Ryzen laptops, CPUs, and GPUs see some bug fixes around suspend and resume and just improved graphics performance. Intel Arc users also see uh, improvements starting with Linux 6.2, but now when you combine the Ubuntu release of Linux 6.5 with the Mesa version that Ubuntu is shipping, on 23.04 you're going to see some pretty nice Arc improvements for graphics. Also in this kernel release is an improvement to Extended 4.0. It's actually is that old thing still getting some work i couldn't believe this when i read it you know what that improved ntfs driver landed
2: too so <laughs> you need that uh that's in there a uh, firefox is a snap it's a uh, firefox 118 oh i was just gonna say you know we were just windows users last week so ntfs you know nice ntfs support true in dual booting environments if you have multiple types of things on your network it's just nice to see for a a very widely deployed distro. How quickly, I forget.
0: Uh, Network Manager 1.44 is in there, NetPlan as well, and Pipewire 0.3.79, which uh, that version will become more relevant in the following weeks. And then, of course, the big headline item in here is GNOME 45. What What? What? What is it? I'm sorry, GNOME 45. GNOME, I thought. Yeah, and yeah, this there, is one of the right. first distros to land. Uh, Of course, I think Tumbleweed already did, but one of the first uh, regular shipping distros to land with Genome 45. And Canonical always likes to add a little extra spice to the pie, so they have added a couple of new things in here, including a quarter tiling extension. And it's sort of like the pop shell tiling, but watered down a little bit, maybe a little more... A little more average user, not so much power user, and you have some settings in, in gnome settings in the Ubuntu desktop area where you can tweak it um you no know, I played around with it, and it's functional,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely i mean it's it's better than no tiling support, right <laughs> you know I mean by by far and away, I think yeah it something about it doesn't feel
0: native, and I wish I had a better explanation, but it it feels a little clunky, like it's not being, like it's not of the system, like it's overlaid on top of the system somehow. And I don't know why it feels that way, but the experience doesn't feel as smooth as if the GNOME project were to
2: implement it itself. It feels a little rougher. Which, I mean, you know, as as an extension on top, I suppose that's probably how you should expect things, though some extensions obviously uh, present, you know, don't feel that way.
0: But as you said, I'd rather have it than not. I uh I appreciated
1: the group tiling function. Did you guys notice that? How if you tile two things beside each other and you go to some other application, if you bring any one of those two tiled applications back, it brings them both back at the same time. They're calling it group tiling. And actually, I, I thought that was super useful. And I'm like, wait a second. I think this is a feature I've wanted for a long time, just never found anywhere. So that, that's something neat to play with.
2: That is solid. Also, like, I mean... You know, obviously there's stuff, you know, the, like like Pop and um, it's fairly easy and there have been previous extensions you can get to introduce tiling to your desktop if you want to. But assuming this all makes it into the next LTS, like mm. that's just a wider audience, you know, between Windows having some more of these features and then now like the premier Linux on the desktop distro having them. Maybe that will, you know, remind people that we can expect a little more out of our window management, even if it's just sort of you know, basic tiling.
0: It also makes Mac OS's window management features look old. Come on, Apple, figure it out. Figure it out. Another thing while we're talking about things they've added is a a really nice dynamic workspace indicator in the top left corner. Yes. Just a little blobby thing
2: that moves around as you move between your virtual workspaces. It looks nice even if you don't know what it does. And then when you figure out what it's actually doing for you, it's even better. (laughs) That was my exact impression. (laughs) At first, I thought it was just
0: like the activities overview or something. I'm like, oh, it's a new button. And then I realized it had this cool little animation as I slid between my desktops. And I'm like, oh, I actually almost always turn on uh, a desktop indicator extension. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to know where you are. Yeah.
1: I found it pretty intuitive as well. I just, I was like, I'm just going to scroll this thing. And I just scrolled my mouse wheel. And sure enough, it did exactly what I Ah. expected it to. So that uh, that was a nice little touch.
0: That is nice. The quick settings menu now includes keyboard backlight toggling. The quick settings menu is really getting to a good place in, in GNOME 45. And they've added a quick settings menu, super S keyboard shortcut to bring it up. They've got the new version of files in there that is uh, a lot faster, quote, significant speed boost is what they say. To me, it just seemed to work well. And then the thing that's probably one of the second big headline features in 2310 is the TPM-backed full disk encryption, which they are labeling as an experimental feature. And they say this feature eliminates the need for manual passphrase entry at boot. Instead, the TPM securely manages the decryption key, uh, while the traditional passphrase back disk encryption remains available, of course, and is probably the one that's better supported at this point.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I was interested to note that they're using, like, this is something that like Ubuntu Core can do already, I guess, and yeah. so it's using the same mechanism where uh, SnapD is sort of responsible for in managing the full disk encryption, and then it actually uses the kernel snap that's sort of deployed in those environments, uh, which does means it right, which does mean right now it doesn't can't support like stuff that might need NVIDIA, for instance, because you're using you need to load extra stuff into your kernel, and this is using like a signed, you know, approved secure root compatible, generic kernel. Mm-hmm. So there are some limitations if you are going to try it. Good to know, know. Yeah. Also make sure you know with anything like that, um, you might have to be more aware that since it's tied to your hardware instead of something you know, right? You know, make sure you have backups. Yeah. I was curious about the use case in that regard, Wes. Like at least
1: my personal use case is, you know, my laptop travels with me all over the world, it seems. And if I lose it, then that's like one more extra protection against anybody just getting my files, for instance. I'm I'm curious about the TPM use case because then the user's not entering anything. And presumably it just sort of gets past that step because the hardware's in place. So can you explore like a use case that would be handy in that for, for this function?
2: I'm not sure. Okay. I- I guess, what is your question there?
0: Uh, my- well, he's saying if you don't have to enter the passphrase. What's the point? And then somebody steals your laptop and they power it on and it auto decrypts. What have you gained? Why Why would you use this over requiring a passphrase at boot every time? And I'm wondering if we're missing something. You got an idea, Jeff?
3: Yeah, I think that part of this that's coming is to allow things like pin unlock. Yes. Similar to Windows. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you don't need this long password or passphrase. Yeah. I mean, this still the same question comes up. It's easier to, you know, think of somebody's PIN or brute force a PIN, even if it's four digits yourself. Right. But I think that's kind of where they're going here. You can use other things like biometrics or a PIN and then rely on the back end of the TPM for the the full encryption.
0: And then obviously it would still protect data at rest if the drive were to be removed from the system at some point in the future. Then obviously the data would be protected then. Um, and you would still have the credentials of the operating system that would protect them. And I think you have to have a chain of custody that's all secure. So I think if you were to boot a third-party operating system that didn't have a signed key, I don't think you could decrypt the data.
2: Yeah. So that's where this is um, – the tpm back stuff uh, in, in this design is explicitly to counter what they call the evil maid attack where, you know, you've left your laptop in your hotel room. You go down to dinner – and then someone's in your room and can tamper it and, say, install a keylogger or other things on your machine so that the next time you boot it up, you're not booting up what you booted up last time. Uh-huh. And so that's where this full disk encryption ties together with, with the sort of TPM-backed verification steps. Uh, so you know that, like, if you change anything about what's booting, mm-hmm. then it can't decrypt the drive. So, it's, yeah, it's not quite the same as, like, manual sort of full disk encryption that especially Linux users are um, used to. But a lot of this sort of came about from the Windows side where they have BitLocker and you might think like in an enterprise deployment where you, you don't necessarily – you're not trying to trust that your employees like, you know, are keeping this super secure encryption setup. But you get better protection than a non-encrypted drive built in without them having to have extra fuss right. about how to use their
0: computer. Yeah, it definitely makes more sense in the enterprise scenario where the user logging in is enough authorization, but you want the data protected at rest. And, yeah, I, I – I would probably be more inclined to use something that didn't require a passphrase to make the system boot because I want my systems to boot all the way up to the desktop without my interaction.
2: It's so. interesting to see more use of the TPM.
0: Like they've existed yeah.
2: in machines for a long time. And I feel like
0: it's been like hesitant in Linux to use this. And now we're
2: kind of seeing just Linux vendors lean in. And then, you know, there are other things you can do if your operational model supports it. Like you can have the TPM sort of be responsible for your SSH keys. Mm-hmm. And then you could say, you know, it's like you're not doing this one key. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm blessing that particular machine to log oh, in. Oh, man. Huh. Okay. It's a bold new world. It is. Whether if we like it or
0: not. One we're slowly but surely going to end up in. Then we also have one of their new One of two, we'll talk about both of them. But App Center is a Flutter-based app that Canonical has built. You can browse and search and s- install Snaps and Debs. And uh, they, you know, it's pretty good, really. It's mm-hmm. I wanted to come on here and complain about it using snaps because I'm still that's, <laughs> you know, I, I still prefer flat packs. But the availability was great. The process was smooth. I could do the thing that I have. I have a minimum requirement of these app centers. Let me queue up multiple things in a row because I'm blasting through this thing like I'm, you know, moving like Superman, man. I click, boom, click, boom, click, boom, click, boom. And I don't want to sit there and do one each one individually. and it. It supports that. And um, honestly, the UI is clean and minimal, but it gets the job done. And once things are installed as snaps, I really tried to, like, notice that they were snaps. And it just really wasn't an issue.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's um, it has been an issue in the past, and we've complained yes, about it for yes. sure. Yeah, previous um, releases, it, like, the first one that was a snap Firefox was crap. And then I think that's left sort of, um you know, then there's, like, a, you for users who peek under the covers. You see that, and then it sort of rubs you the wrong way, right? You're like, oh... It's no longer really the system I understand. It's using this new technology that I've grown not to fully trust. But at the end of the day, at least from a desktop user perspective, if it just works, if it gets out of my way and I don't have to care the containerization technology, I mean, it could be an app image back there. And if I have the tools to like administer it, if I have the ability to connect things, or if I just don't have to think about it and it works, okay, I guess, I mean, how can I object? I
1: ran into a tiny issue that made me question this when I, tried to open the app center and also uh and just nothing happened and then i had to click on it again and then it booted so um, i know we've seen that style of issue with snaps a couple of years ago uh and i wonder if that had something to do with it i mean it's maybe it's just me because it seems like the screwed up ethos seems to follow me around when i'm trying new software but um, that was a little indication that made me go hmm i wonder about this
0: I feel like what Wes just said is really wise because if you put aside your Snap prejudice and you just evaluate it at its functional level, in 2310, it's there, I think. I don't know if I would say it, it, from any previous Ubuntu release review where I felt like it was there, especially with Firefox. I felt like that was a step backwards, but we're there now. And when you bring together their their new App Center to manage this with the experience of using Snap's it is just as functional and just as performant as flat packs seem to be for me. And so I, I really have to give them credit that they stuck with it and it's there. But you in order to really appreciate it, you have to put everything about snaps aside. Because like you, Brent, the second I have a problem, I'm like, oh, is this because it's a snap? <laughs> is this is this not working because it's a snap? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, right? But right. You, if you can stop thinking like that and just think about it from a is this functional standpoint. Uh, I think they got there. Um, Zero indication that this is a Flutter app. The way I would describe the App Center is clean, minimal, performant, functional. I wouldn't describe it as slow. I wouldn't describe it as an electron-feeling experience. It feels like a native application. Uh, If I didn't know it was Flutter, there would be
2: no way for me to kind of suss it out using it. So that's a win, I think. It, you know, it's um, on one level whether you like it or not, and maybe there's you can make the classic sort of you know canonical go in their own way and they're you know with their own customized stack and such. But yeah, I, they're investing in sort of newer tools like like the installer, which I'm sure we'll be talking about. And so far, they feel nice, and yeah, they're way better. They're a different class than an Electron app, and for good or for bad, you could really kind of steal man this either way. Unique. They are value-add stuff that is unique, again, to Ubuntu. Plus, it's pushing on that Flutter actually, like, you know, if these are deployed and these Flutter makes it wide into, you know, actually deployed LTSs, that's a good lobby for continued Linux desktop support in the Flutter toolkit. Yeah. If Flutter takes off in other environments, developers who might have used it for mobile, you know, maybe that's one more step to be able to target the Linux desktop in a non-electron way than learning Cute. GTK. I mean, having using these tools,
0: I would prefer the apps be written in Flutter over Electron. And when we saw the announcement and we covered the announcement on the show that they were going to be using Flutter to develop a new installer, I believe our reaction was something on the lines of, well, okay, we'll wait and see. But if they nail this, they could, with these tools, prove this works and inspire other people to develop this. And people that haven't been using Linux for very long might forget. But when Ubuntu first came out, and I know you guys know this, when Ubuntu first came out, they set a direction and a tone that caused all these third-party developers to adopt GTK and Python and, and, and develop things in the spirit that would work best in the Unity desktop environment. And there was really kind of a trendsetter of how things should be built. And what the developers were looking for, what I learned by talking to them, is they were looking for an avenue to take that said, if you want to develop an application on Linux, use this toolkit. Package it in this format. You can ship it in the Ubuntu App Store. You do it this way, and you can use this for
2: the app. Here's indicators. An, here's an end-to-end example of all the stuff you might want to do. Exactly. That isn't the, like, actual thing that your app is doing.
0: And as a result of that, we got developers creating applications for desktop Linux that we haven't really seen. We're actually starting to see it pick up again, but it's been years. And what Canonical could be doing is beginning that process once again. By creating some of their most important tooling, like the installer, like the App Center, and others that are based on Flutter, that look good, that are functional, that are well performant, that do things that maybe other applications can't, which we'll get to in a little bit. And they set a new standard and they just do that by leading, which is what Shuttleworth did when he came to desktop Linux and he said, You don't need three email clients, you don't need six web browsers, you don't need seven different text editors. Pick one of the best and ship it as the default. And we'll do it on top of Debian. And that was a big deal. And it set a trend. And I think you know, if they can keep at it and they keep making it good, there will be developers, maybe not the diehard free software developers, but there'll be developers that are maybe one ecosystem out. that are just a little outside our orbit that will be monitoring this and see real results and code that's on
2: GitHub that they can use. And I think it's going to result in more applications. Here's open. So now this is a small thing. I'm curious if you guys noticed. Um, 2310's actually making a little bit of a change to the old fonts. Oh really? Yeah, swapping deja vu for Noto if you're using those before. Uh don't think I noticed. But I would notice if they sucked and they didn't suck, so <laughs> right, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it just falls under sort of, you know, like it's like the layers on top of GNOME. It's the it maybe goes along with using Flutter and this, you know, having a full packaged experience is the the polish layer, you know, mm-hmm. there's been more focus there and it seems like it's coming together. Uh, another little thoughtful change that snuck in is um, there's added patches on 2310 to make sure that the new GPU in the Raspberry Pi 5, as much as we badmouthed it. Uh, no, that's good to see. Yeah. I mean, that's nice. Right. Uh, yeah. People use Ubuntu. Raspberry yeah. Pi 5 is going to be big. They should, and the they should just good. work.
0: The Pi 5s could be, you know, the early early orders,
3: the Pi 5s could be arriving in the next few weeks.
0: 2310 just came
3: out. Yeah. Try it out. Let us know. wanted to mention that the Noto font is the Google font, so it's familiar. Yeah. Probably it, why you didn't notice.
0: Yeah, I, and I've, I use it on other distros, like ones where I have to choose my fonts. I generally go that route, so I'm pretty ad, uh, adept to it. But I think it is noteworthy, and I'm glad you pointed it out, Wes, because often Ubuntu, above all, had some of the best fonts. Yeah. Yeah, and so when they make a change, it, it is notable. Shows they're thinking about it. Linode.com slash unplugged. Head on over there to get $100 in 60-day credit. It's a great way to support the show. And check out all the great stuff they got cooking. Now, you guys know we use Linode for our main community-built website now. But more and more on the back end, we're using the Linode S3-compatible object storage to deploy assets out to the audience, including RSS feeds and entire episodes. It's, it's been a great platform to build up on as we've needed it. And Leno just keeps getting better now that they're part of Akamai. All the tools that we've told you about and relied on, or maybe you've had a chance to check out. Their great API, the command line client, all the stuff that lets you do backups and snapshots and move things around, build, deploy, scale, all of that's still there. But now, now it's combined with the power and reach of Akamai, the best in the biz. And they're investing in the services to offer more resources and more tools while still giving us that classic, reliable, affordable, and scalable solution. For all of us, individuals, businesses, really a business enterprise of any size. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, they're expanding the data centers. They just spun up a new one recently, and they're giving us more resources to help us grow our business, our project, or whatever it might be. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode, see why we love it, and see how they're getting even better with Akamai. You go to linode.com unplugged. You get that $100, you can kick the tires, you support the show, and you can see how Linode, now Akamai, will scale applications for individuals, businesses, from the edge to the cloud. That's linode.com slash unplugged.
1: Now, I decided this time to take Ubuntu 23.10 for a little spin in a VM. I didn't throw it on some crazy hardware that Alex left for me this time around. Aww. <laughs> we did touch on a lot of what I did like. I mentioned the tiling was like refreshing and actually worked really well for me and was a beautiful implementation. Workspace Indicator, we mentioned as well, that sort of stood out to me as like kind of a neat little tiny feature. Nice to have. A nice to have, yeah. I did also already mention that I had a couple applications sort of stutter when I first tried to launch them. But after that, they were super speedy and really behaved well, i got to say. Now, I did kind of leave things idle there while I was chatting with you boys, and GNOME 45 just like crashed on me. Just sitting there, doing nothing with almost nothing open. This morning, actually, while we were prepping for the show, right? I was so surprised. Like, it took me aback a little bit. I was like, what? I this hasn't happened in a long time.
0: Wasn't there, like, something to do with clutter in the error message, too, or something?
1: Uh, you know, I admit to not having dove completely into the error message. But it, it just kind of, like, took the entire, at least the user experience of the system down. It just took a log out, log back in to kind of get things back up and running. So it wasn't, you know, catastrophic in that sense. You didn't lose data. I mean, I didn't really have any data in there, so. Just our chat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) But it was surprising. And I guess, uh, you know, I, of course, sent the report and stuff like that. But other than that, I just actually got back to that feeling of thinking, huh, Gnome's getting features that I think maybe I should try again. It's been a while that I've given it a spin for a while. And so I'm going to keep an eye on it, I think, in the next couple of months, find some stability and. Who knows? Maybe he'll get me back on there.
0: See if some updates fix it. hmm Yeah, it is it is new. What was the
1: most, hmm, let's say noteworthy elephant in the room maybe is the right other thing to say is uh, I struggled to find an ISO that I wanted to run. I wanted to try the new installer like you two boys. You guys got in there early and got to try some things that uh, – I didn't get to try. And the reason for that is it's so unfortunate, but there was some issues with the ISOs that Canonical put out. And uh, there was some malicious user translations that happened. And so they quickly pulled the ISOs and it has been a few days and we didn't see those ISOs get replaced. Uh, And I'm curious to know what's going on there. It feels like, uh, unfortunately, maybe they're losing a little bit of their like excitement Because, you know, they just put out this release a few days ago and then all of a sudden they had to pull things. Uh, I know you guys got some beta ISOs, but did you did you look at the website since? Like they have a Jeff, I know you went to download and uh, there's just a gray, gray bar that it doesn't even allow you to download. If you know where you're looking, you can find some legacy ISOs, which is what I used and it worked perfectly fine. It's what we're used to in the past. Uh, So it just doesn't have the modern installer, the Flutter based installer. But Jeff, how was that experience? Was that a little like uh, challenging? A
3: little, yeah. I also couldn't find like the live installers or just the live desktops because I wanted to run it on my laptop on the hardware via USB 3 instead of doing a full install and wiping my system as well. And couldn't find the live anywhere for anything. I found like ARM64 and a couple of things and the server installs, um, but not the live. But I did find them, of course, uh, the cdimage.ubuntu.com where they have the whole list of all of the releases and the nightly, the daily, or the daily, the... You know full twenty three ten version everything most of it's there. There are still like the main ubuntu twenty three ten is still missing uh the just a desktop release,
2: yeah, it makes me wonder did they not think it would take this long either? um, you know, they did put some stuff it's not like the you know it is grayed out as you said, but if it was this long, think, you think, know, yeah, you wonder if you maybe it would make that legacy a little more prominent
3: well, and how are those translations not in every release that that kind of set me aback I mean. Uh, it's because it was
2: translations just for the new installer.
3: Oh, I see. Okay, mm-hmm. I missed yeah. that part.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that it took... Uh, well, it's as we record, it's not actually fixed yet. When I heard about it, I thought, oh, this will be a few hours just based on their previous track record.
2: I thought about trying to build my own ISO. I mean, oh, yeah. I still had the beta and stuff, so it was fine. I could still play with the new installer. But uh, just going around for the various levels of instructions, it seemed like a lot of them were all... I wasn't convinced that it would include the new stuff just from those old instructions. So it makes me wonder, like... Are there bits here where the new installer version isn't as tied into everything? And then maybe there are still manual actions to, like, you know, you could rebuild the legacy ISO easily, but is it yeah. still some steps to get to the new one? I don't yeah.
0: Know. Uh, my positive spin on it is that, you know, the Canonical leadership looked at this. They said, this is a problem, but the legacy ISOs are available. We don't need to have our staff work through the weekend. We'll fix it on Monday. If it was an LTS, maybe they'd have a different take. but. You know, it's an interim release. It gets downloaded by, you know, a percent of the LTS users. So maybe they just decided to let their
2: staff actually have a weekend. And if that's the case, I'm all for it. Makes I'll, me wonder what, if anything, will change in the process for the LTS. Because, I mean, this would be worse for sure if it yeah. was the LTS release. I'll
0: tell you what impressed me. I'll tell you what. I, so like Wes, I had an ISO from days ago before this whole thing was discovered. So I, I decided to do one more install uh, over the weekend so I could try out ZFS on root and all that kind of good stuff. And when I got up and running, I was connected over Ethernet, so I had an internet connection from mm-hmm. the beginning. When I, but I, you know, when I chose my language and my keyboard layout, the next screen in the new installer is typically: Would you like the minimal install, which is the new default, or would you like to do the full install with everything? Instead of getting that screen, I got your installer is out of date. Would you like to update the installer? I got that too. That yeah, it's interesting. It is. It, and so I said, all right, let's see how this goes. This is probably going to break. Go ahead. Update my installer. Sure. And I hit the button and it, I don't know, pulled down some stuff in the background.
2: And a few minutes later, it restarted itself and it was fine. This is another case of the, um, you know, I think this is something that maybe they wouldn't have been as confident or it would be enabled so easy if it wasn't a new Snap delivered Snap, app. Yeah. I think it's just a Snap upgrade in the background. Right. So you know you can roll back. You know you've got, you've got the guarantees that Snap systems provide. But I, I do kind
0: of also agree with your take, Brent, that it's a little unfortunate that it comes out on a Friday or Thursday, whatever it was. You know, as Linux, you just want to play with it over the weekend. Yeah. And we want to try the new installer. And it's like the, it's the perfect window of opportunity to try this. And unfortunately, you can't get the ISO right now. So it kind of kills that hype roll a little bit.
1: Which is just unfortunate for them, because I feel like the last couple of releases, they've been, you know, on a roll getting some cool new features out, and uh, it's just, yeah, just bad timing. I'm sure it'll get fixed this week there, but stay tuned, I guess.
0: Now, with every Ubuntu release, there's always the flavors, you know, the traditional flavors, and Jeff, you decided to just give a quick look at Budgie this week, and I was just kind of, you know, peeping, looking over your shoulder, and it's a pretty fine-looking default desktop. It. I thought, did he customize this? And I realized that was your fresh install.
3: Yeah, I haven't really touched anything. I haven't used Budgie since um, Solus was on everybody's mind. Oh, yeah. Way back when. Same, And I mean, at least, hey, now I can choose my desktop wallpaper. Uh, That was something I could not do back on Solus when playing with it. And it's been a long time, clearly. And I am not a Budgie person, but I wanted to play with this. I want something completely different, completely new. I quite like it. It's very fast. That was the first thing ah. I thought. And I'm running on USB. It's USB 3. But everything's been very fast, including the Firefox Snap. I verified that is the same. That didn't even notice until you guys mentioned it. Um Many of the features and things you were all talking about there that are in Genome, some of them are here because it's still GTK. And... Some of them are not. I am not on Wayland, for example. I am on X11 still. Okay. And the what's first, your,
0: what's your graphics?
3: It's AMD. So I, you know, I don't know if that's just for the installer. It could be. Uh, oh, I'm on live, live. session. Yes. I am on yes. live. Okay. Yeah. So possibly, if I did the full install, I'd be on Wayland because I expected to have touch swipes like three finger swipes stuff like that to get around the desktop environment
0: so nice yeah yeah
3: and i've i got that on x11 with plasma so i kind of expected it here especially on budgie but possibly not just on the x11 system right otherwise it's been fine i fixed my watch with it that was something i ran into right which you couldn't do on arch correct yeah Yeah. what the ubuntu do what arch can't i guess i suppose this time around uh, (laughs) yeah i tend to run into issues Of course, everybody runs into issues with Arch, but uh, it's my go-to. and That's the point. Yeah, that is the (laughs) point. You know, everything has to be a point release ahead of everything else. And the Android tool, specifically Fast Boot, was something wrong with it. And I was just trying to reflash my watch with Asteroid again and couldn't do it. Reached out to the team. They're like, oh, yep, you're probably on Arch, aren't you? I said, yeah, by the way, I am, of course. <laughs> so I had actually a good reason to plug in a drive, load up a live, you know, distro, and every, the timing worked out great.
0: Little older version on the Ubuntu?
3: It must be. I didn't look at the numbers. Yeah. But it worked. I didn't have to fuss with anything. Just plugged it in, went to fast boot, and one, you know, two commands. I'm running Astro to us.
0: Yeah. That that is the quintessential Ubuntu experience when they nail that, is you just want to do something, you don't want to spend a lot of time researching how to make it work, and it just kind of works out of the
2: box. That's what's always so exciting about the fresh release and just seeing how it advances because, you know, the things you got used to only on your rolling system suddenly show up in this otherwise very stable environment where things have been ironed out, maybe patched if they need to be, and, you know, once that gets a little more popularity, all those guides out there for whatever random thing you suddenly want to do on a whim, they'll probably work with it too. I hope. I, I, I hope so, um, especially when the LTS lands, because the
0: stuff that they're they're baking into this, it's going to be really nice in an LTS. So I'm curious, Wes, what your experiences were on kicking the tires and trying to get the ISOs and, you know, all of the above with
2: 2310. Oh, actually, um, I really enjoyed the installer. I didn't have any problems with it. I probably have done three or four installs now because I want to, to play with the encryption stuff. I want to play with ZFS. Uh, it seems like the ZFS setup, it's nice to see it back, yes. just for starters. Yes, Um is just worked it seems like it's a simpler setup than yes. how they had before mm-hmm. i think now they just we have a still have a, a boot pool and a root pool but i didn't see the kind of the complicated layout that we'd seen in the previous iteration for better or for worse i haven't put it through any paces or anything but for the zfs lovers out there which includes me nice to see overall uh you know we talked a bit about the tpm stuff There seems like there's uh some interesting desires on canonical's part to like include more automation and sort of like sameness with the server side in the desktop. And as someone who still thinks an Ubuntu server can be a really great option, it's nice seeing that. Like they've added NetPlan in here, which I think a lot of people are kind of rolling their eyes about. And maybe have mixed feelings on NetPlan. But at a high level, it's some YAML you can write to configure your network. And then NetPlan has renderers, which includes system D network D, uh, but also includes network manager. So when you install it, the NetPlan conf is super simple for the desktop. It's just, hey, use network manager and the network manager uses its, you know, whatever. the it does its the, thing. Yeah. yeah, it does its thing. So it, so it's not getting in the way, but if you are used to using Netplan from your Ubuntu server experience, you've now got an easy way to apply that on the desktop. Um, they're also now playing more with uh, auto install support. So you can like more directly install with the new ger- uh, generation of installers, like just sort of pre-configure how you want your OS to be installed. Always nice. And they're adding more support for cloud in it, which has used a ton in cloud and virtual environments, so you can kind of specify a cloud init file, and on the first boot of your new machine, it'll run that and apply a bunch of stuff so you could have it configured to be the spin or variant that you want. You know, it could turn into Ubuntu for you. Could be great on a VPS. Yeah, or it could get Nix pre-installed. Whatever sort of customizations you need to, like, turn it into the machine that you want, and maybe that includes sort of, you know, a layer of customizability or parameterization based on, you know, which machines get which cloud in it. Super popular in those environments, and now, again, looks like there's going to be more support for that on the desktop, which, okay, maybe your average desktop user isn't going to like, but I think it's neat to see, especially if you're going to be deploying a lot of this stuff.
0: And, you know, uh, flavors and, and respins can use that stuff to provide standardized experiences that are more consistent now in using the upstream tooling, which
2: is good. I was also just really pleased as a, um, I don't know, you you're good at playing a lot with the with the genome extensions and i mean i like it too but i gotta push all the buttons yeah when i end up using genome or genome excuse me for any length of time uh it, it tends to be on systems that i'm not daily driving right. you know or i'm coming back to and right, i just want something simple you usually daily drive plasma yeah at least at the moment yeah so i like knowing that i can have a really easy base that just works and to be clear you know these days stock genome Does that for me, too. Mm -hmm. But just the little bits, the built-in tiling, some of the little layers that uh, 2310 has. The dock, whatever they call their launcher. It's nice. It works. It's functional. Yes. I would have no qualms. I'd be quite pleased about walking up to a random machine I needed to use and having it be 2310. Totally. I agree.
0: Um, I really found this to be an enlightening experience because I came directly from Windows 11. (laughs) Right. Guys, it has been a long <laughs> time since I've made that switch. <laughs> and I did it I did it on the XPS. That's great. Oh, so yeah. I could A-B it. On it's the like your heartbreak. very first switch. Yeah. And um, my goodness is desktop Linux, especially Ubuntu's desktop Linux, a breath of fresh air after that experience. <laughs> you know, like no upsells and just the, it's, it's it runs a lot better. It's cleaner. It's immediately more functional. It is the installer compared to the Windows 11 installer, is modern, smooth, clean, easy to understand. I like that Minimum is the new default.
2: Oh, yes. It's been a long time coming.
0: Yes. Yes. I think that's a good move. You can change it if you like, but I mm, I like minimal being the default. I like that ZFS is back, baby. That was great to see. And coming from the Windows 11 experience, not that I really minded Windows 11. It was a lot better than I expected. Yeah. But I, it took me back. To a sensation I haven't had in a long time where it's like, oh, these guys have done it better. They've figured Mm. it out and they're doing it better. And you combine that with Genome 45, it is such a good release. It is so refined. The quick settings menu has really come into its own. The tail scale extension now integrates into the quick settings menu. Oh. Fancy! Oh yeah, guys it it was really really nice, and so it it was a different bar for me to judge it by. And on the coming from the commercial side to Ubuntu twenty three ten, it was just exceptionally cleaner and smoother, and felt more modern. And I like now that they come up, you know, light dark, and choose your accent color, mm-hmm. and it works well. They got some interesting backgrounds in there, and um, my overall kind of impressions were pretty solid. On that, you know, it's, it felt like a nice middle point between going with a really kind of enthusiast, maybe like an Arch install with i3 or even Pop! OS with the tiling extension. It felt like a middle point between what was commercial Windows and how far you could go with desktop Linux. And they've – they've, I feel like it's it's a new Ubuntu in a way. It, this, it, it harkens back to some of the older releases of Ubuntu where they're pushing a couple of things – that the other distros aren't doing. So there's a little bit of difference here and they've taken the extra time to make it a little nicer and bundle a few things in there. And they've nailed some of the core experiences again. And it it's like the desktop team from five years ago made this version of Ubuntu. It has to be one of the best desktop releases I've ever seen in my opinion. And it's in part the the heavy lift here is gnome 45 but I think it's also the refinement and improvement with the snaps. It's their custom applications coming together. It's Linux 6.5. That's a big part of it too. And, all, and the new Mesa and all of that really presenting a fluid, smooth, well-refined system that if you kind of just put, a, put aside like what it's using to launch the applications and if Flutter is being used to run if you just judge it based on if it's functional and the experience is good, I felt like it checked all the boxes and I, I'm really, really, really looking forward now to the LTS. Because if they just take this winning recipe and, and rev everything, and they don't have to do anything new, they don't have to do anything wild, there doesn't have to be any crazy new experimental feature. Right, just bug fix, polish. That's going to be a great LTS. That's going to be one of the best desktop LTSs
2: in years. It's, I'm feeling sort of refreshed, and it's nice, and I didn't quite expect it, but like, I, even if I'm not going to be daily driving ubuntu anytime soon it's just nice to feel excited and feel like yes they are they are doing things i care about as a linux desktop user and are good for the general ecosystem
0: yeah and now the question is will we see the effect that we saw years ago kind of everybody else upping their game just one more level just everybody keeping at it trying to bring the best experience and learning from each other and kind of doing that natural result of competition kind of doing that hard work to kind of get things finished that weren't necessarily finished before maybe we'll see that here Uh, maybe not but either way i think it's definitely worth a try i think it's worth a download especially if you're an ubuntu user get an idea of where they're going and could be one of those things where you use it for a while and you discover things aren't working great maybe we do discover something there so if somebody out there runs into those issues let us know I don't know. Maybe there's something we didn't catch. LinuxUnplugged.com slash contact. I'm going to keep it installed, though, on the XPS. So I'll dual boot. I'm going to dual boot Windows and, and Ubuntu uh, 23.10, and then I'll try to upgrade to the LTS. We'll see how that goes.
2: Excellent. Okay. This should be a fun little field report.
0: Collide.com slash unplugged. If you're in security or IT, listen up, because if you've got Okta, I've got something for you. I know I was always looking for a better way to do things automate and solve problems and reduce burden on IT and just cut down on the amount of inbound tickets. And you'll also notice a lot of the things that you have to deal with, especially things that run up with maybe your audit or compliance issues. A lot of times that comes from end user machines. Maybe their system got compromised, their credentials got fished, something maybe they didn't even realize happened. And it's a lot of low hanging fruit that just soaks up time and honestly is a bit of a risk. And that's an issue. So this is where collide comes in. It's a solution to this challenge that has plagued IT since the very beginning of networking and moving around things on Sneakernet. So for those of you in security or IT that work with Okta, what Collide does is it ensures that only the secure devices can connect to your apps. So they're checked before they're connected, you can make sure they're compliant, and Collide has a dashboard that lets you monitor your entire fleet, Windows, Linux, or Mac, in one spot. But the best part is, is a lot of this stuff, the employees can solve themselves with just a little bit of help and a little bit of communication. And the Collide system manages that too without putting the burden on IT. So you can go experience this. They got a demo over there and it's a great way to support the show. You go to collide.com slash unplugged. Check it out. It's pretty seamless. I wish I had this when I was in IT. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash unplugged. Support the show and check it out. Collide.com slash unplugged. Now,
1: in podcast land, there are a few exciting things happening, and Fountain is one of them. Chris, I think the 1.0
0: is coming soon. Can you fill us in? It is nigh. It is. This is really neat to see because the Fountain app has just had rapid pace development, and the dev team is getting close to 1.0, and they have reached out, and they're asking for the unplugged audience to boost in with a killer feature or improvement they want to see in Fountain 1.0. We got a little bit longer in the release cycle, and so the dev team's going to watch the boost. Oh, fun! And they'll look for suggestions. So you can support the show and give the Fountain team your feedback on if you like. If you left Fountain for some reason, let them know why. You know, be nice about it, but let them know why. They'll be monitoring the this episode's boost and maybe next week's episode's boost specifically to see your feedback because we have a real chance here to get this thing into a real nice 1.0 polish shape. That could be pretty great. So please let us know what you think. And speaking of boosts. Boost We do have some boosts, and Chip84 came in with 372,093 sets, making him our baller. Hey, rich lobster. <laughs> Coming in with the Fountain app, saying, here's a little value for the recent hard work, and what a, would have been my gas money for Linux. No. Northwest. <laughs> I know. Uh, I wish I could have made it to the meetups, but I hope to meet you guys in the spring. I really enjoyed the Windows Challenge episodes. I've been full-timing desktop Linux for years, but I appreciate the check-in from a Linux user's perspective. If you guys had to give up Linux, knowing what you now know, would you pick Windows or the Mac? All right, so hypothetical. Hypothetical.
1: Well, we haven't done the Mac Challenge yet, have we? Oh, that's
0: interesting. (laughs) That's a little more expensive.
1: (laughs) I'm okay to lease one for a week or
0: two. Yeah, if that were, maybe that would be the way to do it, right? Is to lease it because that's the problem: is you got to have Mac hardware or hackintosh it. What about you, Wes? Would you go to Windows Eleven and WSL it
2: up? Would you do the Mac and what? And what? Which and why? I honestly, I might have both. If you know, if I didn't have a, if I wasn't a Linux user, I think I'd probably have Windows at home. I'd probably, you know, I'd probably have a gaming rig set up. I'd probably be using Windows. I'd probably have figured out how to be a more of a Windows power user, especially because I'd have a lot more like pure Linux stuff available to me now. Uh, but I think I'd still remain really darn tempted to have uh, mobile Mac hardware, just because, hmm. like, what what machine could I get yeah. to compete with some of those Apple ones?
0: Both is a good hedge. I hadn't thought of both. What I about might be cheating? Though. What about you, Jeff? What would you Windows or, Lin- or if Windows or Mac if you couldn't use Linux? That
3: is absolutely cheating. Wes. <laughs> I I'd have to go with Windows. It's what I started on. That was my computer journey. Yeah. I can't stand the DE anymore, even though I use Windows. esque Plasma. But, oh gosh, I use it every day at work. I mean, I at least know it well enough and I can still, you know, uh, bulldoze through it.
0: Yeah. Okay, Brentley, what about you? Would you use, if you could only use one, which one would you pick?
1: Is BSD an option?
0: That was going to be my choice. Right. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I think I would, I think I would choose
1: Mac for, I think, at least two reasons. One, hardware. Like, it just seems like they're way ahead in hardware. Uh, but if we're talking strictly software, then I feel like many more hmm, users that are like-minded to us uh, seem to flock over there. And so a lot of, you know, package managers and such that are third party just feel super comfortable over there. Uh, you know, Nix, for instance, you can use Nix over there pretty easily. And it just, to me, feels like that's where you would, if everyone all of a sudden tomorrow was forced to make that choice... I think we'd find our people over there more so than on the Windows side. But that's just a hunch.
2: I was trying to debate, like, what what feels more locked down, which one's going in a direction I like more or less. That's what kind of makes me a little nervous about Mac OS. You know, it's like I could get a whole, I could have a a VM or a WSL environment, have full Linux, or as Brent's saying, you know, Nix does work well. Yeah. But uh, I feel like I I like Docker on Mac OS less. And I like the Docker, even if you're still using Docker desktop hooked up to Mm -hmm. WSL. And I feel like, again, you have more options. Hmm. So I'm
0: a little torn. If I were picking probably on software, I would probably pick macOS. But uh, unlike you boys, I don't think I'd end up with the Mac because of the hardware. I think I would end up with a Windows workstation with a PC tower that I could have seven disks and I could have a (laughs) GPU or two and I could Mm. have some PCI cards and... I would just – because, you know, you could make that setup work with Windows, right? I, like yeah. I could put Windows on my Nick station upstairs, and it would it would work. I couldn't put macOS on there. And ultimately, I can live with window management shortcomings. I can get third-party utilities. I can mm-hmm. adapt my workflow. But I what I can't solve for is you can only buy a handful of Macs, and if they don't offer what you want, then you're SOL. And I can't solve for that. So I think I'd be forced to use Windows – and then I would just use the crap out of WSL and stuff like that, assuming it existed in this world. Can we go back to Linux now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm ready to go back, Chip. That's That was rough. But thank you very much for the baller boost this week. We really appreciate the support and the uh, value. Um,
2: the episode, uh, you know, it had its – people loved it, people hated it. So I appreciate the people that liked it stepping up. T-Morgan, 497, boosts in with 65,109 cents. I
3: hoard that which your kind covets.
2: Hello from the manufacturing world, where we are pretty much locked into using Windows because our CAD software only works with Windows. But I dabble with Linux at home and love listening to the show. Here's a zip code boost for you. Ah, CAD thing's a, that's a common thing we hear from, Morgan. That is, yes. That is a problem. Now, what do you got there, Wes, on the old map? 65109 appears to be a postal code in Cole County, Missouri, uh, including the city of Jefferson City. Well, hello, Jefferson City, Missouri, or
0: Cole County, at least. Thank you for boosting in. Appreciate it.
1: OP1984 boosted in with 50,000 sats from Fountain as well. Heyo! Finally getting caught up after not being able to listen for a few days. Seriously, one good-hearted ribbing about saying something nice about Windows and you take it to the extreme and actually run this garbage OS? I may be a bit bitter about Windows. It tends to make my work life a nightmare sometimes. Well, in recognition of your suffering for an entire week, masochism much, I'm sending the majority of my stack as a thanks. May these meager sats bring you comfort during your recovery.
0: Aw, thank you, Oppie. Now that right there is the value-for-value value system. In work, Oppy started that ball rolling and he came back with the follow up uh, when we executed on it. Thank you, sir. It was actually, it was kind of fun. Uh, Kerasia comes in with 22,666 apps using Podverse. I actually run Jellyfin and Plex at the same time, mostly because I'm in transition and still need that local download enough to struggle, enough to struggle bus through uh, Plex. I also run it on a ninth gen. One liter PC from Lenovo cost me about 75 bucks with 16 gigs of RAM. Wow,
1: that's a great deal. Nice. All right. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Sorry, Raspberry Pi, that shortage went on for too long. And these used one liter PCs are better for around the same price and better for the environment. You know, thank you for making me feel like I'm not the only one running Jellyfin and Plex at
2: the same time. I feel a little less weird now. <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. They work well together. You can point them at the same library. Exactly. And I think, like, you know, be a purist if you want, but you don't have to be. And maybe it's still useful to have Plex in your ecosystem for that one weird TV that has better support or for family and friends. Uh, I feel like I, I feel less bad about that or less worried about the sort of lock-in and where they're going to go. If you know you at least have Jellyfin ready to go yeah, as a backup if you need it. That's true. That's true. It is. Moon and night in with 5,000 cents. Just says... Boost to win. Yeah. Thank you, Moon Knight, for the uh, boost. We appreciate it.
1: Show mascot the golden dragon comes in with a row of ducks. Here's an idea for no corporation tax. Mary Nixmas? Maybe give Debian thanks.
0: Arch the penguin sings. <laughs> oh, Dragon. Let's get let's get a, yeah, a singing penguin. You know what though, Dragon? The one theme I'm seeing across all these boosts, have you guys noticed the one theme that keeps coming up over and over again? No. Debian. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you're right you're right they always mention debian they, like everybody keeps saying we need to do something with debian what boost in tell us what you know it's like it's like you go to a really well-built house and you tour the well-built house but there's like nothing in there so you're just like walking around and you're like so this is the great foundation this is these are the walls they're great aren't they kitchen you know like it's good it's good but what do you what do we dig our teeth into what do you dig your teeth into everybody's been to the debian park so what do we tell people about?
3: That Garage Notes PC needs an operating system. I was <laughs> well, thinking next, but, but Debian <laughs> would
0: you know. Yep. You know. Sounds like Jeff just signed himself up for another task. <laughs> <laughs> for <that> next cloud.
3: <laughs> it's not
2: on the list. I mean, pl- plus plus if there's yet. anything Debian's known for, right? It's you installed and it just works and then you never update it, and then you will get to find like a, you know, ten year old Debian PC and we'll play with it you know later what? in the show. I didn't even mention in the twenty three ten review.
0: Absolutely gave it a spin on the Atari VCS Oh, good. that Eric sent in, and it worked great. I, I, I need to put a bigger disc in there to really take it seriously, but 2310's rocking on the Atari VCS right now, so uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. So, Golden Dragon, looking forward to seeing you at the mini fest next weekend. I bet, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if Golden Dragon's in studio for the next episode of the show. Ooh,
1: that's exciting. Here's hoping. I mean, let's hope I'm in. The studio for next episode too, right? My God. We got a boost from Sir Alex Gates, 5,000 sats. Podman on Windows is so much better than Docker desktop. It's baffling. This is good to hear. Yeah, I, that was suggested to me when I was struggling with, you know, when I was mentioning my Docker issues. And I feel like that was a bit of a miss from us. So maybe we'll have to follow up on that. Oh, Windows homework. <laughs> you know, I do still have it installed. Well, it's Chris's job then. Get to it, Chris.
0: Oh, and and Podman is pretty great. Uh, PegDot came in with 3,333 sats, and he said, damn you, Chris, I just can't listen to Take My Breath Away without substituting breath with Brent. Take my Brent
2: away.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, well, remix coming, right?
2: AI remix, of course. Forward humor boosts in with 6,666 sats, which are actually uh, three duck rows. Oh, okay. Well, let's do it then. I'm always... You know, looking for an excuse to bust the ducks out. Bust the ducks. I've been listening for a while and just want to know where the heck are the razor ads? You know, your listeners have hair trimming needs as well. Where's my flipping razor discount code? Geeks razors, guys. Let's go to
0: geeks.com slash, um, well, I don't know. Neckbeards don't shave. Uh, yeah, right. I think that's what it is is we
2: encourage not shaving amongst our audience. <laughs> uh, next, next duck. Uh, the right vendor partnerships and incentives could bring something like WSL to Linux. A Windows runtime for Linux, I was asking about that next week if anybody thought it was possible. Microsoft just has to see a value proposition for that dev labor investment and support. Hmm. If they aren't seeing it via one-time fees or premium subscriptions, they need to see it via big vendor partnerships that have monetary value to them. It would be interesting for sure. Equally reasonable would just be applying the embedded Windows license key from BIOS so common these days. You know what? That is one of the smartest damn boosts in a minute. You're right.
0: Microsoft would have to have some sort of monetary incentive, of course. Now, what's the monetary incentive for VS Code being on Linux? Could it be that same rationale? Because I'm imagining a scenario, I suppose, the most likely, which seems far-fetched now that I say it out loud, is that they're reducing investment in the legacy Windows code base. Because what is Windows 11, if not really just a continuation of the NT code base from the 90s? And at some point... Right? You have to figure there's going to be a breakaway. Mac OS did it with 10. There's going to have to be a breakaway. And if they did that breakaway, perhaps the way you maintain compatibility with whatever transition you go through is by creating that Windows subsystem that era- that maybe you publish it on the new version of Windows and you also publish it for desktop Linux perhaps. Mm. But that's pretty far-fetched now that I say it out loud. And I agree that the monetary incentive or a big partner would be the much more logical reason.
2: Well, Forward Humor had a question as well. Hey guys, I remember hearing you talk a few times about upgrading your production machine to NixOS. I'm curious if you've done this yet. If so, what are you using for a remote UI connection to it? Chris, I know you've talked about using RDP for this in the past. Is that still your solution on Nix? I've struggled to make this work in Nix and would love any feedback. We did play with RDP for a minute. And, uh,
0: you know, it really came down to the client. Although I think Romania may be one to try again, but... The clients were really hit and miss, and so it was not deemed reliable enough for like we're remote, we got to operate the stream, we want to be flawless, so we're going to use X solution, and nothing really came down to like the perfect solution. However, we did pick up a Pi KVM, and one of our projects, if we get to it this week, is to implement the Pi KVM on the OBS machine. Yeah, yeah, and you can get them off eBay for pretty good price and i think maybe that is the ultimate solution because i if the system wasn't booting i would want to see the console screen and that kind of thing so i think right. for a system is important to that and if you're uh you know in texas and you're trying to do a show or something like you want to be able to just see what's going on and so pykvm i believe will be our solution there but what, what are you thinking jeff
3: i would just recommend for basic uh desktop remote desktop stuff uh, sunshine Mm-hmm. just use the, the gaming streaming platform, Sunshine uh, or Sunlight? Sunshine? Moonlight. Moonlight. Well, Moonlight's the client, and I believe Sunshine is oh, okay, the right, server. Okay. Also, um, Rustdesk
0: has improved Wayland support now, and they just mm. did another uh, post-Wayland release, so Rustdesk could be another possible
2: solution. Though. Gosh, this last bit, uh, you know, forward notes, we've not had any luck making it work in the Nix Nerds group. I've never seen them stump before, huh? That I think we'll true. just have to play with it, because now I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. You could bypass it with a Pi KVM. Could take a look
0: at Rust Desk or Sunshine and Moonlight. Let us know what works.
1: Ren came in with 3,521 sats,
0: simply saying, Hey,
1: Dutch zip code boost. Go podcasting and greetings from Utrecht. Coming in hot with the boost.
2: <laughs> you know, I travel. Well, yeah, the there's not much work for I'm me. From,
1: yeah, it's kind of gives it away, doesn't it? There's not it?
2: much work here. It's, yeah, uh, Brent, would you say the name of the city again? Utrecht. Yeah, it's it's that. In the Hello,
1: Netherlands. Oh,
0: you Netherlands. Thank you for boosting in. Appreciate that. And the opportunity to learn about a new place. We love it. We do. I love the I love the locations. Vectron comes in with 9,000 and one set from Podverse. Uh
2: Hi from Cologne. Am I saying that right?
0: <laughs> Is it Cologne? <laughs> you don't know?
2: I would say ask your resident Brent.
0: Kalagna, <laughs> Hello from Kalagna. No, you had it the first time, Chris. <laughs> uh, well, because it is spelled like cologne. All right. Let me see. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they write, hi from cologne. No, Nix November was mostly a joke, referring to no, not November. I've also heard about Soap t- sober October and, you know, there's all these kinds of things. Uh, you're right, though. Immutable systems are very interesting right now. I'm planning to check out Nick's and try it on a secondary machine soon. But I've landed a new job that involves Linux rather than Windows last year. And I was kind of motivated by listening to, to Jupyter Broadcasting for so many years. So thanks for that. Oh. Well, Vectron, thank you for the boost and the value back. We really, we really do appreciate it. Each boost is not only a great motivational note because we're always sharing them back and forth. And we're like, yeah, but also, you know, it all
2: together really adds up to genuine support of each production. Gene in with 4,444 sats across two ducks. Hello, Gene. Thank you for boosting in. Let's give him a row. Just wanted y'all to know that Chocolaty has always been a business. The website has, for sure, gotten more corporate over the years, but I think that's because they needed a way to make users aware of the bits that they had beyond the community edition. The commercial bits are pretty cool, actually, and something I think y'all would appreciate. Rob Reynolds started and runs Chocolaty, and I'd be happy to make an introduction if you'd like to talk to him more. I know it's not Linux, but there's some really nice stuff there, including bits the self-hosting community might benefit from. Mm. Introduction has been made,
0: uh, and I, I introduced myself and offered him to come on the show for a quick interview and just thought, you know, well, let's talk about it from a Linux user's perspective. What is it like building a package manager for Windows, maintaining that huge repo and, um, you know, something we're not really familiar with is how do you commercialize a package manager? Um, so if uh, they
2: want to take us up on that, we'll uh, definitely do that. Wonderful. Thanks, Bean. Uh, second, second duck here, uh, if you do the No Corporate November or something like it, maybe that's when you all could do the Gen 2 install that's been talked about <laughs> off <on> and on. <laughs> all right. That's you been know, done with one two three hand, times. Gene Bean, you know, gives us some great stuff. Si- coming, coming in with the Gen 2. You know, like, how do you even make that interesting?
0: Gene, tell me that. How do you make that interesting? However, are you, are you boys feeling like the no corporate November pressure now coming? I guess. It's being brought up a lot. Like, we, we might have to do this now. I feel like we're on the precipice. We're on the precipice. If we get a good, solid idea or one more good, solid boost suggestion, I think we're going to do it. We've played around with the Gen 2 thing over the years on and off. I think we've done some live streams. I have some horrible memories. Yeah. it. Uh, what I was wondering is like uh, distro speed racing, like distro install speed racing okay. with the end goal of like a desktop that's doing X, Y, Z. You know, maybe it's like on your tail net and you've got something installed and ready to go. Like a, a speed race would be kind of fun. But again, it's a pretty visual thing. So we'd have to think about it a little bit.
1: Well, Gene once came in with three Rosa Ducks and created a problem. But Dexbot this week came in with six, 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 six Satoshis. And that was, I think, on purpose—a spooky Halloween boost. Saying, uh, "Okay, but y'all got a link to that cool Windows sound remix that you had <laughs> last week?" A lot of uh, a lot of your experiences mirror mine with Windows. I use Linux and macOS at home, and I'm a Mac main in a Windows world at work. Thanks for that absolute oddball of a LUP episode.
0: I'm glad to hear people liked it. I've heard a lot of, I considered skipping it, and then I checked it out, and I really enjoyed it. I've heard a lot of that, too. Like, oh, a Windows episode. Uh, It's just called the Windows XP Remix. I don't actually know. You can go on YouTube, and there's a lot of bad ones, and that was the best one I could find.
1: Uh, we also, Chris, you sent me a uh, like a soundboard of a ton of <laughs> yeah. historical clips and stuff. That was very fun to go through. Some of them, actually, I hadn't heard before.
0: Those are on Archive.org. A lot of the Windows version's sounds are all archived on our Arch- So I was able to just go to Archive.org and find a lot of them. Pretty convenient, actually. Uh, all right. Moving right along. Thank you very much, DX. We appreciate it. Kmog came in with 12,345 sats. He says the Windows challenge. <sighs> yuck. Yeah, just kidding. Spaceballs boost! So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life!
2: (laughs) I love this is becoming a thing. VT52 boosts in with 13,334 cents. Well, I've gone and done it. Still twiddling knobs, but have the wise terminal up and running. And then looks like we've got a little link to a Proton URL, which I'm hoping is a picture. Yeah, it's, it's as awesome
0: as you could possibly imagine. It is a classic 4x3 CRT terminal screen with green and white display. And he has on there, oh, notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com. Wow, notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com renders on this WISE <laughs> terminal. That's amazing. And... It's got that glow to it that those old displays had. This would be such an incredible note system if you could somehow run Obsidian. Really one of my favorite booths of the week. I shared it with the boys the moment it came in. We all get them in our Albi extension, but then like some of them we also share via chat. And this was when I was like, we have the best audience ever because it is just completely nonsensical. It is totally a waste of time.
2: And yet... Love that he did this, and it's exactly the kind of project I'd like to do. And look at these deeds that VT passed along. Uh, hard-won advice for anyone going this route. Resist the urge to turn on all the features and max out <laughs> line speed. Like good barbecue, start low and slow, VT100, <laughs> 9600 bot. And some useful tools for troubleshooting, minicom, set serial, stat serial, and VT test. Uh, and then there's a little bonus here. VT sends us to a teeny tiny ESP-based board that pretends to be a modem connected to your serial port and lets you dial in to remote TCP endpoints.
0: This is so great! It's in, we'll have a link in the show notes, listener. You have to go look at this if you like these ESP devices. It's a the parallel port's the biggest part. It's a big old like standard parallel port, and then hanging off the back of that is a little ESP board. With a little connector on the other end for a wire. And uh, it just apparently supports between 300 and like one hundred and fifteen hundred baud speeds. It emulates as a Haze modem <laughs> and it accepts the classic AT commands that you could do for a modem. I mean, could you just, is there anything better in the whole world than an ESP that's pretending to be a classic <laughs> modem on a parallel port? Does it come with a speaker? I want noises. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. You know, little, little. Even if it's just like an MP3 that it's playing, that would be, uh, wow. Thank you, VT.
1: Kospielin boosted in three thousand six hundred and ninety sats from Fountain. I was afraid of the Windows show, but after all the CLI stories, I don't feel as dirty
0: listening now. That's true. West did save us with some good command line geekery. I really do appreciate that. Uh, the facial hair comes in with 3,300 and SATs. And he said, I know I missed the privacy and security episode, but I wanted to bring up that it's been a year and a change since the release of the Flipper Zero. Oh, yeah. Those look fun. Have you changed your opinion on the device? You know, I have been hearing really good things about the Flipper Zero. I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I'd really appreciate feedback from the audience. Jeff, have you played with the Flipper? you
3: seen the Flipper? Seen plenty of videos on it. Yeah. Um, was didn't uh, someone in the mobile room have one and got yes. to play with one? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Byte. Do you want
0: to give us an update on your thoughts on it?
2: Well, uh, it is mainly the firmware and the uh, programs that people write for it that makes it so versatile. uh It's just a platform where they unlocked almost everything for it, keeping it legal. Uh, there are some people that created some firmwares to fully unlock it. And, yeah, the possibilities are endless with it. It's really an interesting thing. There you
0: go. And that's, you've had it for six months? More? Longer? Oh, You've had it for a year
2: almost? A bit longer, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Bearded Tech comes in with 10,000 SATs, and uh, this one's a live boost. Live boost during 5.32. I'm currently typing to you from Windows 11 using WSL2 for managing my servers. All right. I run VS Code via WSL2 and via Code Server. I stick around on Windows to play Fortnite with the kids, but dual-boot the Lizard OS tumbleweed when I feel all Windowsed out. Right, I know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, we all do. Thank you, Bearded Tech. Appreciate the live boost.
0: Uh, Ghost Mode also came in below the 2000 cutoff, but just said, "Uh, I'm also running Plex and Jellyfin. But I'm the only one using jellyfin. (laughs) Hey, we've got a club going. (laughs) So we had 20 total boosters this episode, and we brought in 621,612 sats. That's a fantastic one. Thank you, everybody, for supporting this production of the show. We really could go on, really, the entire episode about what it means to us and about how it's helping us make plans for the future. But – I'll save you the long-winded speech and just say it makes a big difference. And we really appreciate everybody who has the time and the means to support via Value for Value, either time, talent, or treasure. If you'd like to boost in, it's really fun. We love those. You can get a new podcast app at podcastapps.com. Like I mentioned, Fountain's really close close to 1.0. Also, I don't know if you boys have heard, lead Podverse developer has just gone full-time for the next three months. They're taking Whoa. a three-month hiatus from work to go full-time on Podverse.
2: That is very impressive.
0: Yeah, I think things are going to be cooking, and Podfans is just around the corner. It's a progressive web app that is just loaded with cool features. So many good things going on. New podcast app or podcastapps.com you can boost directly in or or you boost in with the web if you don't want to switch podcast apps. You can do it with fountain.fm or the podcast index. will have links in the show notes. And a tremendous thank you to our members We're really focused on trying to provide extra value to our members to UnplugCore.com, where you can support all the shows at jupiter.party. We don't mention it very often, but I will say if you haven't become a member yet, it's worth subscribing and just getting the last few bootleg versions of the live stream because there's a lot of content in there that I think is pretty good. And it's stuff that we've worked hard to include for you, news stories, discussions. You know, we talked about today about uh, You know, one-day GNOME eventually switching to Wayland by default and what the impact of that be. There's some good conversation in there that's available for our members that we put in there as a thank you at unpluggedcore.com or jupyter.party. Today's pick was inspired by a little troubleshooting. You know, you're trying out a new distro. There's always things you just kind of want to keep an eye on, see if there's any errors in the log when you got a new install. And that's where tags comes in. Now, you could install tags lots of ways. It's also available as a flat pack. And it is a simple log viewer that lets you color code the things you're looking for. And you can set multiple different colors and tags and different schemes. And then as they go by in the log file, they stand out really clear. So if you're looking for something, like maybe you want to plug in a USB device and see the output in DMessage specifically, and you're looking for that particular device, you can define the device you're looking for, the name, like, you know, USB hid whatever whatever it might be you put that in there and then when it shows up in the log it gives a nice highlighted color for you. Okay, this looks
2: pretty darn handy. Lean mean GTK four, I believe. It's a Vola app. Oh, we don't have a sandboard for that, but maybe we should. What would the what would that be? Boost in and let us know. Yeah, vola, vola 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 Vola. No, that's
0: not it. That's definitely not it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you can get it on GitHub or you can get it on Flathub. We have a link in the show notes for tags. Nice and simple. It was just something, one of these, earlier this week, I'm like, you know what? I should tell people about this. This has been a handy little app. So we put it in there. I hope to get an opportunity to shake some hands at Linux Fest Northwest mini meetup this week. If you're going to make it, make sure you do RSVP at meetup.com slash LinuxFest Northwest. We'll try to capture the essence for those of you who can't make it, which would be most of you. So we'll try to do a good job doing that. And you're always welcome to join us. Next week is sure to be a banger of a live event. We'll probably have a lot of guests in the studio. And our virtual Mumble room will be open and available. You can join our Mumble room when we're live at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. And the details for Mumble are at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash mumble. Easy peasy. It is really easy. Uh, anything else? Anything else in there, Wes? Is that it? I think that's the show. We got it. We got it. Now, Anybody? Just, now it's time for
2: fast prep. Yeah. That's true. Now we just got to get Brent packed up and headed out here, I guess, right? The drone we sent for him should be about there.
1: See you next week. Same bat time, same bat station.
0: Indeed. Indeed. And links to what we talked about today, well, those are over at linuxunplug.com/slash slash 532. You can get our RSS feed over there, our contact form. we love your feedback. And listen to the back catalog there. I hate to say it. Our many years of episodes. <sighs> Go listen to us in a younger Shipper state before we've been hardened by the world i don't know about that actually all of it over at linuxunplugged.com and a bunch of great shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com hey we really appreciate you listening thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you right back here next sunday